Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so that you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. For more content, look up the Facebook page Reading the Play, and to get the latest news, including new episodes, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, we sit down with one of the top guards to come out of BC's lower mainland, Jaden Kohi, who finished up his collegiate career with his hometown UBC Thunderbirds. The former star at Walnut Grove Secondary makes a pit stop to Story Island to chat about his experiences playing at the Div 1 level in the NCAA. He also explains the extremely difficult decision to come home and play for the Thunderbirds, turning aside offers from Power 5 schools. We recorded this prior to the start of his final season at UBC, and he talks about finishing strong. Man, did he ever. Being named a Canada West First Team All-Star, Second Team All-Canadian, while leading his team to a Canada West title and a bronze medal at Nationals. We also got the inside scoop on his connections with NBA legends Steve Nash and Jamal Crawford. So you don't want to miss out on that. Well, it looks like Jayden's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Excited to have Jaden Kohi stop by Story Island today. Jaden of the UBC Thunderbirds, and it's great to have you in town. When we first talked, I didn't even know why you came to town, but here you are. Uh, glad to have you on, and you had to come to this cold weather. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, coming from Vancouver to uh, the snow and cold in early October, uh, not the greatest thing, but I mean, I'm here, so. Fresh off a team dinner, uh, tell me some of your most favorite team dinner moments, or what was the most epic team dinner that you had? Yeah, I would say the most epic team dinner I probably ever had was as a as a freshman at Seattle University. Um, we just beat New Mexico State, which was a, a perennial powerhouse in the WAC Commerce at the Division One level, and they go to the tournament almost every year. We had beat them. We all went for dinner as a team, and it was just epic. Everyone was was happy and excited. It was it was a huge win. It was maybe the biggest win in the pro in the in the coach's tenure at Seattle U in the program. So it was it was amazing. Like I wish you know, you wish you could feel like that after every game. Were you allowed to order steak? We were, actually. <laughs> yes. Um we got steak, which is which is nice as a college student. It's not steak isn't exactly always affordable. Like I said, awesome to have you here. Um let's rewind back though to where it all began for you. B C boy, born in Langley. Yep. Oh, and bo- born in Richmond, but born and moved to Langley okay. in six months. So, yeah. What was it like growing up for you? Um, you know, I, I had a good life growing up. Uh, we didn't have too much. Uh, middle class family. Um, but you know, I I almost want to say I grew up different than a lot of BC kids. I kind of knew from the time I was nine or ten years old that the only way I was gonna go to college was through a Division One scholarship because I was never, I was never the greatest student. Um, not to say I'm a bad student, but um, you know my parents knew I had a passion for sports, and they they really they really saw a future for me in Division One level, and, and for like college, it's obviously expensive for a lot of families. So for me, it was it was a perfect opportunity to for them to tell me early on to go to to go to college, basically to go to Division One. So kind of from when I was 19 years old, I kind of knew, in whatever sport I picked, like that was the goal to go to Division One and get a post secondary education. 
So at nine or ten, were you thinking about a different sport outside of basketball even? Yeah, it's funny if you ask this. Basketball is actually my worst sport. So I come from like the biggest basketball family ever meet. Like my dad played at Concordia, won a national championship. My mom played uh, in high school and in college. Um, so basketball is kind of all that's talked about my family. But I was a, uh, I was actually a much better soccer player. Um, that was my first, my first love and my best sport. And I was also a better baseball player than I was a basketball player. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, what were you? What position were you playing in baseball? I played center field. Okay. So I played in the the Cal Ripken World Series. Um, basically, for people that don't know, you got the Little League World Series. Yeah. And the Cal Ripken World Series basically at eleven, twelve, you're allowed to lead off. And you're kind of playing like you're in the major leagues, but as a as a younger kid, so you know I was I was fairly good at those sports, and I was alright at basketball. But you know, one thing people always say about me is I always had a basketball in my hand. And kind of as I got older, and kind of grew a little, like like I was a kid who would, would dribble to school every day. Like always had a basketball. Like it was my worst sport. It's always what I wanted to do, and I kind of decided like you know it's the sport I'm gonna pick, and I'm gonna try to max out at it. Up to what age were you a multi-sport athlete? Um, fourteen. So I played. All three sports until, yeah, just until about I turned 14. And when did you get your growth spurt? Um, I kind of grew gradually, actually. So okay. I was always tall for my age, but I was never the tallest. You know, I was maybe just above average. And I kind of always kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. Even in college, like, I was 6'2 my freshman year. And I was 6'3 and a half without shoes my sophomore year. You know, I kind of always just kept growing. Because I was going to say, like, soccer players are generally pretty short. Yeah. I thought maybe that was the first sport you had to give up. Yeah, um, it actually was the first sport I gave up. Um, <laughs> speaking of, but um, that that had uh, less to do with my height and more to do with the fact that I hate cold weather. Like I am the <laughs> worst person in the world for cold weather. Um, so yeah, I kind of stopped soccer for that. Baseball was more in the spring, so it worked for another season. And I kind of, I kind of just thought baseball was too slow paced for someone like me. I'm a mm. kind of person who like likes fast pace and action and. And likes to make stuff happen. So I just thought, hmm, probably basketball's basketball sport I'll choose. And you had a tremendous career uh, in high school even to begin with. You had you won provincials. Yeah. And MVP of that tournament. Yeah. So it's, a, it's actually a funny story. So um, to kind of cap it all off, as I said, basketball's one of our sports. So in eighth grade, um, a lot of the best players in BC play for drive basketball yeah so i got cut in eighth grade so i didn't even make the team for my own age group which is shocking to a lot of people so like my age group i wasn't even maybe one of the top 30 or 40 best players in bc you know and it's it's a story i always stick with me i told the founders of drive passion chat like look i'll be back here best next year i'll be your best player and they looked at me like i was crazy and i came back next year i was their best player i was you know the best player at my age group uh in drive and you know i just i kind of worked hard in there and it kind of turns into high school so I played up senior as a 10th grader and, you know, I, I led our team to the finals and we were one point away from, from winning as a, um, for me as a sophomore in high school, one point away from winning the championship. And I would have been MVP as a 10th grader as well. We lost, we lost that one by, by one point on a team we had beat three times. It was, it was like heartbreaking to me, especially as a young kid. And uh, I know our team kind of made a promise like, look, we're coming back, we're winning next year. And we, we made it public. We we're like, you know, we're, we're going to go all out. Everyone's going to be gunning for us. We're going to make this public. We made it public. I said, we're winning next year. And we came back and we did what we did. We won. And I was blessed enough. I had good enough teammates that helped me to allow me to win MVP. And it was just kind of like a dream come true, you know, like as a kid, all you do, like as a kid in BC, all you do, you used to go to the Agridome and, and watch all these kids play. And for me, like to be, to be one of the older guys that, that kids got to watch play and win the MVP was, I mean, it was a surreal moment to me. As a 10th grader, though, playing with seniors and almost men, 
Um, what gives you that confidence, though, to just be the best player on the court? Yeah, that came from my family, my parents, my values. Like, you know, a lot of problem I find with a lot of young people these days, especially on the West Coast, is people grow up in these very sheltered lives. A lot, oftentimes, people have a lot, and their parents kind of give them any, everything or anything they kind of need. My sure. parents weren't like that. Like, my parents were tough. Like, my dad was an ex-player. Like, he was he was hard. He was extremely hard on me. You know, and when I was younger, I didn't exactly know how to take it, and I didn't always understand. But it made me tough, and it made me fearless in a way. My mom was the same way. Like, my mom's fiery. She's a fighter. And it made me realize, like, look, like, nothing's going to be given to me. Like, I need to, if I want this, I need to go get it, you know? So when I was when I was younger, my parents, when I was in fifth or sixth grade, they always had me playing with eighth graders, ninth graders. When I was in eighth grade, my parents would have me playing with, with grade 12. When I was in ninth, tenth grade, they'd be playing with college players. Like, that was their thing. Like, we need to make them tough, you know? So by the time I got to tenth grade, I was... I was I wasn't physically tougher than than most players, but I was mentally way stronger than mm. pretty much everyone in high school. You know, because I'd I'd been through so much more in a little time, and I I was blessed enough to have parents who understood like look we gotta we gotta make this kid as tough as we possibly can be. That's the only way he's gonna have a shot. Going back to drive for a second, that's where you first met Manroop Claire, right? Yep. Um, so Manroop is two years older than me. Okay. Um, so I kind of it's funny. Um, I kind of always looked up to him as a young kid. He was the, the big name at drive before me. Um, he was just like, it's funny. He was like this small, skinny brown kid who just <laughs> put 30 on everyone, you know. It was, it was almost like a, a cult legend in Surrey, um, especially for a lot of, uh, like, Indo-Canadians, which is awesome seeing for me, like, like being a young Canadian in ninth, 10th grade, watching this this 150-pound kid just destroy everyone. I was like, it kind of made me realize, like, Mentally, if you can have an edge over people, you could really almost do anything you want in basketball, you know, and it was, it was nice, and I got to team up with them. Um, his U-17 year, I played up two years, so it would have been my U-15 year. I got to play up a few tournaments with them, and I was just, at that time, he was at a different level than me. He was older than me, more experienced, and it was, it was crazy to see, like, what it took to, to be good at that level, you know, and I kind of I kind of emulated him and then tried to carry on his legacy and, and surpass that in a sense if that makes sense what backyard basketball game do you think you could beat him at right now like horse oh 21 oh i'm beating him at everything he he'll beat me <laughs> he, hey i'll, I'll admit in a three-point shooting contest yeah he'll beat me he'll beat probably okay. anyone almost anyone in the world and then catch a three-point contest he's that good of a shooter but yeah and all those streetball games you watch my i got all the all the crazy shots like uh, he, he he's gonna see this too i'm gonna I'm beat him what's uh what's your favorite story about him what's his funniest moment not so much funniest moment but my craziest story what really made me realize like man it was like an absolute dog was i was a 15 year old kid um we were playing a tournament in houston playing like a lot of like undersized super athletic teams um he split his finger open 13 stitches first two minutes of the game left came back got back by halftime at a 26 in the second half with 13 stitches in his shooting hand that's when I realized like there's a next level and he he was so mentally ahead of everyone at that age and tough you know I was like all right like he's he's really a dog like he's really a player that that can do this you know being a 150 pound uh okay to go d1 that's unheard of you know and he did it and he made it he made it look easy so that's that's kind of where my respect came for him and I kind of looked at him at the time as like a big brother what's the worst pain you've had to play through um Honestly, the worst plan I've had to play through, um, I mean, I broke fingers, I've, I've cracked my head open in a game, but the worst plan I had to play through by far was last year, the plantar, plantar fasciitis I, I've been playing through for the last year and a half. It's it's excruciating. Like Many days, 
it's been tough to almost get out of bed and walk for the first couple of minutes. Like it's that painful. Okay. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, so near the tail end of your high school career, we had just talked about all the success you had and, uh, just how you were even overachieving at such a young age. What was your mindset going into life after high school? Because you knew you were going to play post-secondary, mm-hmm. but how did you solidify your stock, if you will, so that teams would be attracted to watch you play? Right. So uh, I was blessed enough at Drive to have two coaches who played Division One and played at UBC as well, LLCS. So the biggest thing that was told me is I had to have, I had to do one or two things better than almost everyone else to get looked at for the scholarship offers. So for me, like, like watch me play, like I'm like a relentless attacker, and for me, I've always been great at mid range, which is kind of almost a lost lost art of, of basketball, I would say now. Yeah, everyone wants to shoot the step back three now, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so for me, I kind of just maxed out of that, and we go to tournaments, and you know, I I'd, I'd have you know 25 or 30 a game. I hit seven or eight mid range jumpers. The coach immediately realized like. You know, he does something different than a lot of players do, you know, and he has a different game. Um, so for me, that that really, that actually helped me in a way. Uh, as much as analytics want to say it's a bad shot, I disagree. It's it's what makes me like Jaden. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of the biggest thing when I was being recruited at a high school. I wasn't heavily recruited coming from BC. It's it's tough, you know. Um, but I was recruited enough to get uh, four or five schools looking at me, and that was the biggest thing they had to say. Um, for me, my two biggest things at high school, they said they thought I was – a great mid-range shooter and like I was just a dog like I was a winner you know I, I always won in high school so those four or five schools what did it eventually come down to and what did it look like conversation with your parents and uh what things were you evaluating uh so for me actually it actually I didn't have a choice so what happened I didn't exactly take school super seriously as a high school kid which I deeply regret and to any younger kids take school seriously it'll open up way more doors and opportunities for you. So I actually lost a bunch of schools that I had because I didn't have the grades that I got that I've gotten in university in high school because I was lazy in school and, and kind of thought my talent would get me. Um but so the other schools school. were looking at your grades yeah, and stuff. I just too, didn't right? have the GPA. I had a low mm-hmm. GPA in high school. Um all based off laziness. That's like I've been dean's less in college. Like it's just just me being lazy and yep. I could give the biggest advice to younger kids, take your school seriously. That it'll open up so many doors for you that you won't see in that situation. So I had to choose Seattle U, and I had to average over 80 uh, my senior year at high school um, just to even get into school. And I had to get a, a super high SAT score, which, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be honest. Like, it was pretty easy for me. I, I finally applied, applied myself. But my biggest advice would be don't, don't put yourself in a situation where um, the school chooses you. You don't choose the school. Um, That's huge. Education is Education is important, you know, and, like, you know, I know I know a lot of people. Like for me, without basketball, I wouldn't have a post secondary degree. But but let let basketball allow you to open up other facets of your life for later on. You know, like I'm I'm super grateful I have a bachelor's degree and a minor. You know, it's like it's it's never would have happened. And that's my big advice to a lot of young kids. Like like do school. Like, everyone knows it's not fun to everyone, but it's it's extremely important. People just come to ball, right? Right, right. Ball's <laughs> life, right? Um. So. You ended up choosing Seattle U. How was the transition for you? It was tough. So the thing is, I left high school, and I'd never been on a team where I wasn't the best player my whole life. Like, I was always the best player on any team, no matter what age gap, that I had actually played on. Yeah. So I went to Seattle University, and 
you know, I kind of had a bit of an ego coming out of high school. A lot of, I feel like a lot of Canadians, especially from the West Coast, do because you're not used to seeing talented players all the time. Truthfully, I thought I was going to the NBA after a couple of years at high school. I was that conceited and, and, but I had that much belief in myself in a way. And I got there and I was the worst player there. <laughs> like I was the 15th man on the roster. So I, I, I said to myself, like, I don't want a red shirt. I want to play right away. I have four months. We got there in, uh, at the end of June until season started to, to make sure I'm in the top six or seven or I'm getting a red shirt. You know, and I, you know, I just, I tried to, I had a roommate. His name is Jack Shaughnessy. And we just, every night we're in the gym until one or two in the morning on top of practice, extra reps, extra reps, you know, and I closed the gap so much that by the time season started, I was our sixth man as a freshman. And I even started, um, uh, a handful of games, you know, and I, I got mm-hmm. to play 22, 23 minutes a game as a freshman coming from BC high school, which was, which, which was huge to me. And that I could attest that all to like, I'm just one of those people, like, you know, I'm just willing to work harder than people for, for what I love, you know, and that, that kind of helped me. And I mean, the other thing that I feel like that really helped me excel, uh, right away to an extent of the division one level was my parents, just kind of the, the mindset mentality instilled in me to, to never fear anybody and to, to always always show who you are and, and show show the dog in you. What were some of the big differences that you noticed in the American game or how the American kids played the game? Because you've been playing against BC kids and a lot of kids in Canada your whole whole life. Right. Yeah. The biggest way I could describe it, um, I can't remember who gave me this example, but someone did when I was fourteen, and that's an example that's always stuck with me my whole life. Uh, a coach once told me if there was a scholarship paper on the ground in America. Um, to go to college for 14 million heads, kids yeah. will literally kill each other for it. Where in Canada, a lot of kids will be like, oh, whatever, you could take you could take it because a lot of people from Canada come from different backgrounds than a lot of people in America. So the biggest thing I learned is like, I said, well, I want to be like the Americans. Uh, like I'll literally kill someone for that, not in the way where I'm, I'm physically harming someone, but on the court, I'm trying to dominate them so much that it's like, I'm, I'm trying to show them like, look, I deserve this and I'm going to work harder for this and you're going to know I'm going to work harder than you for this. So when I got to the States, you know, that, that mindset was already instilled in me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of realized like I'm just like these guys, you know, I just, I come from a different place, you know, and that's, that's the biggest gap in America. It's size athleticism and then just dog, just fight, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you watch a lot of American games, like that's, it's, it's almost a fight out there, you know, uh, in a basketball sense, but it's physical, it's strong, guys are quick, um, athletic, Dive on loose balls, like they they just play so hard, you know, and that's that's one thing that that I really noticed was the biggest difference, you know, and it, doing all that. The game speed is just so much faster than than at a high school level. So from a physical standpoint, how was that transition on the court for you? It was tough for me. I mean, I was a skinny kid. Like I weigh, I'm about two two or five right now. I was like 165 going into college, so um, I was tiny. You know, yeah. I was tall, but I was lanky. I never would really lifted a day in my life, and it was huge. So. Our coach basically said, look, if you want to play, you got to put on 10 to 15 pounds, like, immediately. So they got me on a meal program, and, you know, I started lifting, and, you know, made it, it made a huge development. It was tough. Like, my first month or two in America, I was just being thrown around, like, by, you know, I was just being absolutely manhandled. I just wasn't big or strong enough yet. So did year two go any better for you? No. Less, it's, less throwing around? Yeah, it's funny. So I actually had a great freshman year. Um, yeah. I ended, ended third in the conference in rookie of the year for WAC or for freshman year in the WAC for voting. Yeah. I actually, um, my sophomore year was actually probably my down year in college. I hit a mm-hmm. sophomore slump. I didn't, I was projected to be like an honor mention all commerce and I didn't perform to the way I was supposed to. Um, 
you know, I stopped working as hard that summer as, as I've worked my whole life. And I, I mean, the summer going into year two. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, it kind of, it, it hurt my game, you know, it, it uh, we got a couple of new players in and I kind of had to play out of position and, but not to make an excuse. Like I, I had a down year as a sophomore and, you know, it was, it was humbling in a way, but in the long run, I think it was good for me, you know, cause I needed to see like, look, I'm not as good as I think in my head and I need to get better. So then year two doesn't go as you had planned. What were you thinking coming out of that second year? Yeah, I was just thinking like like the way the offense our coach was running had totally changed. Um, I was playing out of position. Um, he was a great coach, and I have nothing but good things to say about him. Like I have a lot of respect for him. He got me my starting division one, but I just thought personally I needed to change. Like He wanted to go in one direction. Personally, I, I, I thought I needed – a change, so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna transfer schools and see where that takes me, and just mm. take a retro year to just improve on all my deficiencies, so I could come back in two years and and really have a huge jump year. So you already knew like the trajectory of where that third season was potentially heading, yeah. And so that's when you decided I need a fresh start, right? So what were you thinking at that point, or what was available to you at that point? Even? Yeah, so I had five offers um, when I left Seattle. Yeah. Not too many, but, but a handful. Um, and I ended up choosing um, Southern Utah because uh, I had known Coach Simon, uh, Coach Todd Simon. He actually was a coach at Finley Prep, which oh. we got to play them at Wanna Grove in high school. Yeah. So I had a relationship with him, and um, he just recruited me. And he, like, he was like one of the only coaches who's ever been honest with me. He's like, look, here's what you're good at. Here's what you need to improve on. Like your redshirt year is gonna be awful for you. You're gonna, he like his like I needed to make 500 shots every day on top of everything we did and lift six times a week. So it was, just, it was a crazy year, but you know like I can't thank him enough. Like I wouldn't be who I am without him. You know he, he's one of the only coaches who believed in me after my subpar year. I see how to use a sophomore and he, he pushed me uh, like I'd never been pushed before. And man, if it wasn't for him, like. Yeah, I, I, I wonder how basketball would have turned out for me. Like, he was a great coach and an even better person. What was your mindset after you heard that, though? Were you like, I'm excited to do this, or, man, this is going to be a grind? No, I'm, I love challenges. To me, I was excited. Like, I love basketball. Like, um, like, like, there's people who love basketball. Like, I really love basketball. If I'm not playing basketball, I'm watching the NBA. Yeah. I'm watching film. Like, um, I'm on Synergy. Like, like there's, I truly love basketball. It's all I do. It's all I talk about. And I know a lot of people get sick of me just talking about basketball twenty four seven. But to me, I was like, yeah, like I was an inconsistent shooter. Um, you know, I was like, look, I need to, I need to improve this now if I want to get to where I want to go in basketball. And for me, it was like, it was exciting. It was a challenge, and it was tough some days. And he, I mean, he was extremely tough on me. But to me, it, you know, I loved it. Like you know, I love being pushed. I love that he cared, and I love that he wanted to see uh, nothing but good things for me. What was the biggest factor in your improvement for shooting then? Was it confidence? Was it even a tweak in technique? What was it? Uh, so I've never been the guy to struggle with confidence. Sometimes, sure. yeah. sometimes I would say I have too much confidence, which to me isn't a bad problem to have. But I'm, just, I'm one of those people who has extreme self-belief in myself and in basketball and other facets of life as well. Um, I'd say my biggest um, room for improvement was, yeah, just kind of I kind of changed my form a little bit. And just reps, like tons of reps, you know. Like mm. I would argue my retro year, I took more reps than about anyone in the world, you know. Um, it was just I just repped it every day, and no matter how tired I was, like I was like, I need to, I need to get better, I need to do this. Like, like I, I cannot have someone ever going over a ball screen on me again. That was like one of my, my big focuses, um, and you know I did it, and like like I love it, and I still shoot every day to this day now. Like 
Like he really, he really showed me that look, like, if you want it, like it's for you to, you to take it. You gotta, you gotta rep it though. You can't, you know, he always, he always had to think for me. He's like, you can't look back at your career when you're 40 and say you didn't do everything you could to, to be who you want to be. And, you know, in my eyes up to that time, you know, I, I'd left stuff on the table. I wasn't doing everything I could, you know, and I said, I'm never going to do that again. And, and to this day, I've never, like I've, I've worked as hard as I possibly can, um, since basically the day I met him. So at Southern Utah university there, um, yeah, did, did like, did you see the floor at all? Um, so my fresh, my retro year, you can't play as a redshirt. Right. So I got to practice. So okay. basically I was on scout team. So basically I got to play all offense okay. for a full year. Um, and we had a, a first team all conference play on our team. We averaged the fifth leading score in the country. So I got to go against him every day, which his name was Randy on Wassor. And he was just like a serious problem. Like he was extremely good. Um, and so I got to match up against him every day. So I got so much better just going and competing against him every day. And I, I just kind of knew when I was years old, like, look, I'm ready. Like I'm going to do, I'm going to have a huge, like a huge year. Like I was ready. I believed in myself. My coach believed in me. And, you know, I was, it was exciting. Being in Cedar City, Utah, though, were you able to take in any of the sites there? Did you go to the Shakespeare Festival? Uh, I'm not a big uh, festival guy, but I did go. I told myself <laughs> if I'm going to come live in Cedar, which is, for people who don't know, it's a, a town that's 90% Mormon. It's crazy. And maybe the most boring town in the world. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do everything cool uh, I can here. So I went on all the hikes. I did all that. So when I leave, I could say, you know, I, I've done everything that town possibly has to offer. So yeah, I, I went to Shakespeare. <laughs> didn't particularly enjoy it, but I did it. The hikes are amazing. About that place, okay. the hikes there are incredible. Beautiful scenery there, eh? Beautiful. Mm. Great people too. Like the nicest people you ever meet. Mm. So that that redshirt season uh, comes to an end. Then what, what? What were you thinking then? I was I was thinking. Like it's time. It's time for me to show everyone what I could do. It's time to me. It's time for me to show myself what I could do at the Division One level. So I went into the year like coming out like I'm gonna. I'm coming at everyone's head, you know. Like I'm, I'm kind of trying to show everyone like yeah, I could really do this. So then, how did your year at Southern Utah go then? When uh, you actually saw the floor. Yeah, I had a year. It was a it was an up and down year. I would say I started off the year absolutely just balling. Like I went into Christmas break and non conference. We played four or five high major teams. I was averaging just under 17, just under five, and just under four. Like I was putting up all-conference numbers. I was projected to be an all-conference player. Our first game of conference season, I had 20 points. Like Everything was going good. And our second game, we played in Montana, and I sprained my ankle pretty good. I had a second-degree sprain. And you know, I made a decision to keep playing through it mm-hmm. kind of throughout the year, and it kind of took away a lot of my speed and explosiveness, and my numbers dropped th- throughout the year. And I ended the year averaging – just under 13, like three and four, something somewhere around there. So I still had a really good year. Um, I still was putting up all conference type numbers, but to me, I feel like if I never got hurt, I could have left a on the table, but I was also proud. I made, I made a huge jump in every statistical category. I got better. You know, I felt better. I was getting the best player from every opposing team guarding me every night. So it was, it was exciting to really, Show myself I could go from a role player at Division One level to to one of the better players in a conference at Division One level. So that was that was exciting to me. If you could play out that scenario again, would you make the same decision and play after that sprained ankle? Um, probably not. Um, I probably would have just took uh, three or four weeks off and then came back for the the playoff push. But you know, like I'm a competitor as a person, you know, like I love basketball so much, I never want to miss any time, you know. So. It was a decision I made, and 
you know, I'm not, I'm not one to live with regrets. Um, looking back, would I've done it the same? Probably not, but I can't yeah. say so for sure. Even when you're injured, that confidence never wanes, hey? <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like it almost borderlines, like I'm, you know, cocky in a way, but I don't see it like that. I see it as in, I just, I know who I am as a person and it just, it allows me to be who I am on the basketball court. I think you need to have that, that factor in order to be successful on the court. I absolutely do. Absolutely. So you have the up and down season, um, like you were saying before, and were you thinking you were going to continue on playing at Southern Utah? Yeah, it was, uh, it's funny. So when this year ended, I actually had no intentions of leaving Southern Utah. Um, I stayed and trained basically all spring for two months and, um, you know, I went home and kind of talked things over with my parents and the people in our circle. And they were they were just telling me how many teams and people were reaching out to me and all kinds of stuff like, on all kinds of stuff like that. Um, teams from a bunch of Division One teams, CIS teams. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll think about it. And when I had left Southern Utah, decided to transfer, I wasn't, I still hadn't decided if I was actually going to leave. I just kind of mm-hmm. wanted to, to see where my interest was. Yeah. And it just skyrocketed, like. Within three weeks, I had forty-five dollars one offers. Like, like That's Duke, nuts. Duke called me. I took a visit to Oregon, Louisville, Xavier. Like, I I had not every big school, but I had tons of big schools call me. Like, I had like thirty plus Power Five schools call me. You know, so it was it was humbling in a way. You know, I was going from a guy to have a few dollars one offers to having tons. You know, and it was like it was like it really made it hard uh, for me. It was like, do I stay in Southern Utah? Do I go to a Power Five school? Do I go to another Division One school or do I come home? You know, it was, it was a tough decision. It took me a couple months to actually decide what I really want to do because it was tough. You know, Southern Utah was great to me. Like, I had, I would argue, one of the best coaching staffs in the country. Like, they're they're amazing. Coach Simon's going to be a Power Five coach one day. Like, you know, it was it was it was a tough situation to be in. Like, I was unsure of what I actually wanted to do for for a couple months. So, what ultimately led you to the decision of? making that choice of okay i'm gonna leave i'm gonna entertain some offers but i know i'm not coming back to southern utah i kind of knew i wasn't gonna come back to southern utah when i went on a few visits and i really saw maybe a potential opportunity for me on a perennial tournament team so that was kind of like the idea okay maybe maybe i'm gonna maybe i'll go to one of these big schools but for me i'm i'm big on winning and legacy so when, when i was making my decision well do i go to a a power five school or do I come home? It was a lot of it was based on winning, which a lot of people find hard to understand as to why, you know, I kind of chose to come home over going to like a, a big school, say in Oregon, for instance. But to me, something that's been instilled in me and my family and big on is, is winning and legacy, you know, like, you know, I wanted to be a guy that was, you know, maybe if I could bring a, bring a, a championship to UBC, being a guy who'll be remembered forever, you know, instead of, being a role player and just a, a small fish in a big pond at a at a power five school, right. but not just winning, but also being a major contributor yes, to sir. a winning team. Yes, sir. Like we were talking about earlier, I mean, you could have played, you know, seven to ten, fifteen minutes perhaps at Oregon, get you about five, ten points per game. I mean, you'd get to experience some of the greatest uh things you can as a post-secondary student mm-hmm. being on that beautiful campus um playing in those great facilities you know nike everything <laughs> yeah and just probably like limitless supply of 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 gear um 
Yeah, but winning over everything, hey? Yeah, it's always like, for me, like I'm, I'm one of those people. Like if you're not in first, you're last. And for me, like I'm, I'm never satisfied with being second or, you know, not the top team. You know, so for me, it's for me like winning is, is literally everything to me. It's it's all I think about. It's really like it's all I care about in a basketball from a basketball standpoint. So your final decision was it between UBC and which other school? Yeah. So my my final four were UBC, Oregon, DePaul, and Santa Clara. Um, so Santa Clara was a mid major. I kind of like them. Um, their head coach was James Harden's coach in um, in college. Um, oh, at Arizona State there. Yeah. Okay. So he was James Harden's coach there. He's now at Santa Clara. Uh, I was like, did you did you talk to Steve Nash? Um, I did. So I actually got to train with Steve Nash in high school a bunch. Um, we could we could touch on that in a little bit. But um, but yeah. So he was like a big time coach. He's got. 600 plus wins division one he's one of the biggest coaches in the ncaa so for me that appeal to like learn from someone like that was exciting DePaul was an interesting situation um uh great great coaching staff like they're going to be really good in a year or two um i would have had an opportunity to play 30 35 minutes there in a in the big east so i would have got to yep. play against villanova and a bunch of schools like that it was downtown chicago would have been interesting um oregon it's the nicest facility i've ever seen dana altman's maybe one of the best coaches in the world, um, you know, and I was going to have the opportunity to just to compete for a starting spot there, which would uh, afford me a lot of minutes. But, you know, with Oregon, I just saw a log jam of talent, a player that saw Bull Bull. I saw Peyton Pritchard. I saw five-star five star freshman coming in from programs I always recruit from, and I didn't – I don't want to be caught on a log jam where I was maybe like the fourth or fifth option. Yeah. And I thought, well, I could come home to UBC and, you know, come home kind of – Kind of let my college career end where where everything started. You know, when I was a little kid, shooting on my my Toys R Us hoop, I could come home and and try to do something we haven't done at UBC. You know, so that was that was the kind of the my vision behind everything. So, what was the composition of the team, or what was the uh, projected role that you were going to have at UBC? Yeah, I was going to come in and and just kind of be me. You know, kind of be one of our vocal guys, our captains, uh, one of our big big scores and decision makers um yeah yeah the keys to the offense right yeah yeah um yeah pretty much i was pretty much gonna come and be able to do what i wanted in and coach's offense from a basketball standpoint so for me that was appealing you know and i was also gonna be able to be a mentor for our young up-and-coming guys who are you know a lot of great we have a lot of great young players on our team right is it fair for me to say that the transition back to to home was was smooth yeah it was pretty smooth it's a it's a different game um, you know, Division One, it's a closer three point line. There's less space. There's a lot more athletes everywhere. CAS is our FIBA basketball is a lot more skill based for the three point line. You have more space in the paint. It's a shorter shot clock. Hmm. You, you're able to play faster, which benefits me. I love to get up and down. So I thought I transitioned, and my my game is tailor made for FIBA basketball. Um, up and down, yep. a lot of threes, a lot of pick and roll action. So it was perfect. Uh, Coach Hanson is a pro style offense where come off tons of tons of ball screens um we have multiple point guards on the floor pretty much at all times so it's like a it's like an offense where i could get on the ball and play off it so i thought it'd be it'd be good for my for my stock uh after post-secondary uh basketball so for that decision to come back to ubc did you talk to man Roop at all as well yeah because so, you guys came back the same year right yeah so a little a little secret here man Roop had went through uh, some some struggles that uh at Seattle University and was fighting for his, his last year of eligibility. Uh, and basically, um, 
we kind of said if he was going to get his eligibility in CIS, which would be two years because it's a five-year cycle, that would be the only way I was going to come home. So if Matt Hoop didn't get his eligibility, like I, I never would have been at UBC. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, glad it all worked out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, you both come home. A um, couple of drive boys mm-hmm. on the UBC squad. And, yeah, was it everything that you had envisioned in your head when you first came back? It was. Um, it was honestly everything and more. We came in. Um, you know, I remember some of the older guys on the team, you know, and I've always kind of been one of the younger guys on, on team. It was, it's kind of nice to take a transition role into, like, a leading role. You know, I was a leader in my playing years in Utah, and I came to be a leader here. And we had some – we had a lot of great young players, but they were second years. Mason, Bercier, Grant Shepard, um, Grant Audrey, like, a lot of great basketball players. Yeah. They were young, you know, kind of almost teaching them the way and letting yeah. them blossom. And throughout the year, they got better and better. And you'll see you'll see this year, like, these guys will be – Canada West All Stars, you know, future All Canadians. Um, they're great players. Kind of nice to to kind of give them advice and kind of kind of teach them what what I learned, and then also kind of learn from them and have them teach me what they're doing at UBC, you know, and kind of having us mesh, you know, and it's 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 exciting, you know, like we're gonna we're gonna have a big year and like like man, they're like the amount of better like our younger guys have gotten this last year is incredible. Like people will see now that we're starting, like these guys. These guys put in the work, and man, it's like it's so nice for me to see. You know, someone who's a grinder to see other grinders just working every day to get better. With your Division One experience, what were some of the biggest takeaways from your time there that you're able to help as a mentor leader um, coming back to UBC? Uh, my biggest uh, experience, I say, from D One is just mentality. Hmm. Like you have to understand, everyone's fighting for the same thing. Everyone who plays basketball in post secondary wants to be the best player everyone wants to play after after college you know everyone everyone wants that you know you really you got to really fight for what you want and go after what's yours but in a in a in a, in a team way you know you got to you got to do stuff that's beneficial for you but also beneficial for the team you know and kind of explaining to them you know about sacrifice and and what we have to do to, to ultimately accomplish our goal of winning a national championship so yeah, I was mentioning to you before that the first time I ever saw you play live was actually in that Canada West final uh, where you guys didn't have your best game, unfortunately, uh, against the Calgary Dinos. Yeah, but I could definitely see the explosiveness that you played with and then just the lethal shooting from, from Claire as well. Uh, even on an off game, you know, he can still fill up the, the bucket, right? Right. Um, has your mindset shifted um, or changed because I know the goal has been the same ever since. You still want to win that championship, that national right. championship. And that was obviously the case at year four. How about year five? Yeah, it's honestly, uh, the year didn't end from an individual standpoint how I wanted. Um, I mean, I've been dealing with nagging injuries, um, but I also didn't perform to the ability I, I know I could have and I should have. So from that standpoint, it was frustrating. From a team standpoint, it was frustrating. We feel as if we underperformed. Um hmm. You know, we our team also went through a lot of injuries, and a lot of our top guys were playing 37 plus minutes a game, and we felt like we kind of just burnt out. So our, our kind of whole mindset this year was like, like we're gonna make sure our bodies are in top shape so this doesn't happen, and we're coming back, and we we're coming for everything. Like we want more. You know, it's the mindset hasn't necessarily shifted. It's just gotten stronger, and we gotten hungrier. You know, it's like we want this, and we want a chance at it, and we know what we have to do to get there, and now we just have to to get on the court and, and do it. So earlier we were talking about 
some of the most painful moments you had to play through and you're talking about, you know, sprained fingers and all this stuff. And um, I wanted to make sure that we circled back to what we talked about and you were talking about plantar fasciitis um, even before we started recording this and how painful it is uh, to play with it. First off, how did that even come about for you? Yeah. So for the people that don't know, plantar, plantar fasciitis is an overuse injury. So for me, I'm spending, I was spending so much time, hooping and playing ball and doing all these things but you know I wasn't taking care of my body at the level I should have been you know I wasn't taking care of my body like a pro I was training like one but you know I wasn't lifting as much as I should have been I wasn't eating and dieting as well as I should have been and, you know I wasn't stretching as much as I should have been you know I never really thought I needed that and I was kind of naive in a way and you know I caught up to me and I ended up dealing with a and I'm still dealing with a major overuse injury which I'm I'm trying to beat by just strengthening my feet strengthening my whole body you know stretching every day eating properly, getting adequate rest. Like it's, to be plantar fasciitis, it's like a, a grueling injury that lasts people oftentimes like a minimum of a year to a half, year and a half until some people have it for the rest of their life. So for me to beat it, like I really kind of have to spend all day treating my body like a pro just to to beat it, you know, and it's it's so much better than it was last year, but I mean, it's still there. But uh, honestly, I believe if I keep doing what I'm doing, there's no reason I can't I can't shake it. But what was the breaking point for you knowing that it was plantar fasciitis versus, oh, I'm just playing with sore feet? Yeah, I couldn't walk. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, That's pretty clear cut. Um, it's kind of funny in a way because when you see me when you see me playing, like a lot of people who know me um, know that I'm, I'm a guy who – I'm not a super athlete, but I'm a guy who will get maybe a dunk every second game or something like that. Like last year I only had one, you know. I, I ended up – taking a lot of five or six footers instead of getting onto the rim. So you're working on the mid range, man. Yeah. Instead of necessarily getting onto the rim, which I usually do, you know, I lost a lot of my explosive and athleticism. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I lost it. I was scared to use it because every time I jump off my foot, it would hurt. You know, it's like an excruciating shot of pain. You know, obviously you're playing, you're not, you're not worried about that, but it was brutal. You know, oftentimes with the games, like the next morning, like, you know, I couldn't walk for the first 20, 30 minutes. If I didn't roll my ball with a, a golf ball or a cross ball, I roll my foot out. Like, I was not able to walk and that's stuff people don't see. Like I didn't practice all last year. I literally only played in games, you know? So it was a brutal injury that I, I made a decision to play through. Um, and I don't regret it because it's one of those injuries that as long as I keep rehabbing, I could, I could get rid of it. If I'm, I'm taking on right necessary steps and I'm not being lazy or, or taking shortcuts. But you were telling me that there was a period there where you couldn't even play basketball. Yeah, so it it had gotten so bad by the end of the season. Um, by the time Nationals came around, like I was toast. Like I had partial tear in one foot, full tear of plantar fascia in the other foot. Like it was brutal. So after the season, I for three months, like I didn't play basketball. I was on in a walking boot. Like I just, I just um kind of lifted. You know, uh, I was like, you know what, well, I'm I'm not gonna waste this time. I'm gonna lose this time to add weight. I ended up adding twelve or thirteen pounds. Um. A muscle and you know, I got back to the court by by late June I was able to shoot so I just kind of got back to what I was doing uh, making 500 shots every day you know and I, I didn't get back to actual basketball setting until the start of September um, and you know I'm pretty much back into the full scheme of things um, my pain's still there slightly but it's it's so much better than last year and, and if it could stay like this you'd be able to see that I'm gonna be able to do things on the court that I was able to do in younger years I had more athletic plays that I couldn't do last year because it, it hurt too much so it's it's exciting and it's, it's almost exciting in a way it's almost a challenging way to like 
can I get rid of this mm-hmm. while, while still playing yeah. all this basketball? What was the biggest thing you improved on with your time away from the court or the time away from a basketball? Yep. Um, the biggest thing I improved on is three things. The first thing is core strength. Um, hmm. I believe I really need to get my core stronger. You know, um, a lot of times in FIBA, they don't call below the waist fouls. They only call above the waist fouls. Where okay. in Division One, it's just a foul. Yeah. So I felt like a lot of times I'm being hit, but refs aren't calling it because I'm not being hit above the waist. So I'm like, I need to improve my, my core strength. I need to improve my leg strength uh, and my feet strength. It all came as one. And then I need to, to add weight to take a wear and tear in season because throughout the season, you naturally lose a bit of weight with all the running. And, and playing you're doing. So those are the three things I focused on, you know. So I, I was lifting uh, once a day, a lot of times, two, two times a day. You know, just kind of grinding in my walking boot every day. I was like, I'm not going to let not being strong enough be the only thing stopping me. Because from a skill standpoint, I, I mean, in my opinion, I don't, I, don't really, I don't really see many people more skilled than me anywhere. So I was like, I'm, I need to catch up the other things in basketball that are important that I kind of neglected a lot of my career. For those people looking to add good muscle weight to their body what was the biggest thing that helped you do that um uh changing my diet like my diet is my diet's always been an issue i love to eat like i'm one of those guys who could just go to all you can eat every day and just allowed to pound food so kind of eating I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna sit here and say i'm the healthiest eater but kind of eating better things kind of eating like a chicken and rice instead of going to mcdonald's and eating two big macs you know like kind of stuff like that and then kind of just really you know, I kind of made like a, a game plan for every week and I just kind of followed it. You know, it's kind of like almost like a, like a structured living and it really helped me add strength because I knew if I wasn't in the gym at noon when I said I was going to the gym that well, I could read right in front of me like this is an excuse and I kind of taped it on my wall above my mm-hmm. bed. So every day I saw it. So it would look me right in the eye. This is what I have to do today. This is what I want to do. And, you know, so it made it easy to never miss a day of what I needed to do and never take a shortcut because I would have to come see that every night when I went to sleep. And for me... If I'm not doing everything I can, like it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to like live live with my decisions I made because then day this is what I want to do, I want to be a pro, so why why take why take a shortcut why make an excuse that makes sense that's awesome yeah, what have you enjoyed most about playing under Coach Kevin Hansen? Um, just the relationship we have as a, as player coach you know he he puts a lot of trust in me, um, he allows me to voice my opinion on multiple things and plays, and he allows me to just be myself you know he. He lets me play through some of my stakes. He and he, a lot of times he'll he'll ask me about something I saw, like a read I saw, and then he'll give me advice. He was a, he was an ex point guard, so he'll give me advice and he'll tell me, tell me things maybe before I see them. You know, like say I'm coming off a ball screen, he'll be like, hey, look, they're they're hedging you here. Mm. They're gonna shoot. They're gonna shoot the the pop guy. Look for the skip pass, like stuff like that. Um, I haven't really played for a coach who will who will say and 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 tell me reads and allow me to to make reads like that. So for me, it's. It's exciting that he, he lets me be myself and lets me kind of do what I do. And what's been the best part about playing with Claire again and reuniting with him? Uh, it's been good. I mean, we, we've had a long run. He was like a big bro to me in AU. Uh, we kind of teamed up again at Seattle, um, uh, played well together, um, and then we kind of got back and played played back home together at UBC. It's kind of it's kind of almost like it was meant to happen. Like it was fate in a way between us. I mean, he's one of my best friends. Um so yeah, I mean it's it's exciting, and we're, you know, obviously our goal and our team's goal is to, to do a big and, and to, to try to ultimately win. So that's kind of that's kind of all we really talk about. If you had to come up with the NBA backcourt comparison of you guys, what would it be? Of me and Minaru? Yeah. 
It's funny. People always ask me comparisons. I'm gonna throw a comparison out of my game. That's gonna that throws a lot of people off. Yeah. I feel like I play like George Hill, um, which you've probably never heard anyone say before. But he's, no, said no one ever. That's right. Yeah. He's he's a, a combo guard. Plays one in the two. Can really shoot it. Super crafty. Not the most athletic, but athletic enough. Great in the mid range. Um, and then I say Manroot plays like a like a poor man's version of Steph Curry. Like he's just. He'll fire a three at any time from anywhere with no conscience, which which in a way makes him hard to guard. I just wanted to talk about your experience with Basketball Canada mm. and some of your international experience. Um, when I was doing some research, I just I, I saw somewhere that you got cut three times yeah. before making finally making the U19 uh, for the 2015 FIBA World Championships, right? Yes, sir. First off... Can you take me through the mindset of what it's like to just keep coming back after three times of being cut? And I mean, we talked, we touched on it briefly, how, you know, you have this like fighter, fighter dog mentality. Um, but that's got to take a toll, no? Yeah. So it's funny. So my first two years there, um, how, how it works at a younger age, it's on a two-year cycle. I was okay. always a year younger. So I went for U16, I was U15. So I was 14 playing against 16-year-olds. So I almost kind of went for the experience. I knew like the odds of me making the team weren't very high. I went back for the U17, so same thing. I was a, I was still a year or two younger than all the guys. So I went for the experience again, actually made it further. And then it was it was my year, the following year, U18. It called back up to me, so it was my age. So I went in thinking I'm going to be on this team. Like I've done all these camps. Like I've proven I'm one of the best players in Canada in high school. And you know, as the last cut as a, a U18, I was I thought. Personally, I thought there was a lot of politics to the decision. I thought I deserved yeah. to be on the team. And I thought I showed well enough in the camp. Um, ultimately, though, um, the head coach really liked me, but it, it's not how it works with Team Canada. They they, uh, they don't pick the last four guys. Mm. Canada basketball kind of does that. Um, oh, really? So it's not even from the coach yeah, himself? Yeah, um, okay. there's, there's a lot there's a lot behind it. So I just... Yeah. I said, well, I have one year. Um, so I played my freshman year, which really helped me get a lot better. I played for Team Canada going into my sophomore year. I, I, I grinded that year, and I was like, look, I'm making this team. Like, there's nothing in me for making this team. And I told Coach Rana, uh, Ryerson's coach, now at the Kings, um, one of the best basketball minds I've I've ever played for. Mm. Like, he's he's just next level. Like, I, I believe he'll be an NBA coach one day. Um, like, an a NBA head coach one day. Um, I went back, and... Like, I kind of – I had a great camp, and there was tons of the best player on the court in the camp. Um, I ended up making the team a starting, you know, which was which is awesome for me and cut three times to being a starter. And I got to start with guys like Dylan Brooks, who yep. was going to be a great NBA player, will play in the NBA for – Former for, Duck, right? Yeah, he'll play in the NBA for 15-plus years. Like, great player. I got to play with guys like Justin Jackson, who's in the D League, was drafted the Nuggets last year. So I got to play with a bunch of NBA guys and really see, like, the level they're at Yeah, and what I'm kind of striving to get to, you know, because – Guys like them, you can just see there's a different level. Hmm. So like there's guys like me, and there's a different level. These NBA guys, are just there's just there's a different level, right? So for me, it's always was always something to chase, right? Right. So it kind of set a mark for you, and now you know what you need to hit. Right. How was your experience playing in that FIBA tournament? Man, it was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. Like, like you know, I'm I'm like a patriotic person. I was born in Canada. Like I love Canada to death. Like I'm I'm the guy at my old school. Like begging the coach to play the Canadian National Anthem before our games, you know. Yeah. Like, in Utah, I'm the only Canadian on the team. Um, but, yeah, I loved it. Like, putting Canada across my chest, like, it was, like, a surreal moment. Like, I tried three times to make a team. I got cut every time. 
I finally made it. And it's like, it was like, honestly, at the time, at the time, winning the Provincials was the best thing in my life. Yeah. And this times that by like a hundred, like, like putting on the maple leaf for the yeah. first time, that must've been oh, was, emotional for you. Even. Yeah. I had tears in my eyes. Like I was, like, I called my parents after the first game. Like I had some game ceiling free, free throws, which was like fate to beat Australia. I called my parents like crying. I was like, like, I really just helped my team win a game in a Canada jersey. Like it was like, it was surreal to me. Like still the best basketball moment of my life. It was incredible. What was the hardest team you had to play over there? Um, the hardest team we had to play was Croatia. So we lost oh, Croatia yeah. in the corner quarters. Yeah. And they, they should have won a tournament. They should have beat USA. So they had a free throw with three seconds left. Tie game to beat USA. And the guy missed. And USA won in overtime by one or two points. So they, they actually should have won a tournament. They had uh, four or five NBA players on that team. I was actually. like, is like Miritich on that team? No, so they would have been younger. So it would have been like uh, Dragon Bender. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The tall guy on the Clippers, um, Zubok, who plays on the Clippers, a yeah. starting center on the Clippers, played well, on the should Lakers. should be with the Lakers, but right. whatever. Yeah, yeah, got stolen by the Clippers. Right. Yeah, I'm a big Lakers guy, so I'm not too. too happy about that. So Me too, yeah. Um, and then I want you to circle back to this Steve Nash thing. What's your relationship like with Steve Nash? Okay, so after I'd won MVP in grade 11... I got a phone call from this random number and like my, my Steve Nash had known Pasha, my AU coach. And my mom kind of knew that Steve Nash was going to call me and ask me to work out, but they kind of kept it a secret for me. So my mom was like, giggling, what's going on? And I answered the phone. I was like, Hey, what's up? Who is that? She's like, it's Steve. And I'm like, I said, I think Steve assumed I had known that he was going to call me, but my parents kept it a surprise. So I was like, Steve who? And he's like, it's Steve Nash. And I started laughing. I was like, no, 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 really? Like, who is this? Like, stop messing around. And he's like, it's Steve Nash. The second time I still like, Okay, you're messing with me. Like this isn't funny. Like, my mom's like, my mom's like, kind of getting annoyed. My mom's like, Jane, it's Steve Nash. And I'm like, wait, wait, it's actually Steve Nash. Kind of almost fanboy in a way, you know, like someone I grew up idolizing. Oh yeah. Who was calling me? Basically, he had called me to, to come work out with him. He was rehabbing, getting ready for a season for for the Lakers, and he'd wanted someone to come work out with him and train with him. Um, and he he'd call me out of all people in BC. So to me, it was like an absolute blessing. You know, I got to train with him for, for three days. Um. And kind of see what he does and what it took to be at that level. It kind of made me realize like how, like how Steve Nash, Steve Nash, and how good of a basketball player this guy was. And he was 38 at the time, but I mean, he looked like he was 25. Like he was amazing. From a physical standpoint, working out with Steve Nash, what were you most surprised with? Was it strength, speed, flexibility? What was it? His balance, like his balance and like ability to stop, was unlike anything I've ever seen. Like he could, he could go. In like a space of five feet, from full speed to zero, from like meaty, like meaty, like a couple feet, like it was incredible. So mm-hmm. he'll hit a move and, and blast off, and where most people take him a dribble through to stop, he could just stop right away. And it's just, you know, that's to me, that's what makes Steve Steve. Like he could do stuff no one else could do, and people always discredit his athleticism. Like his stop and go is on a James Harden level, where he could just stop like, like no one can stop. Yeah, I was always amazed with his change of pace and how he right. played that way. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because he puts in that work at the gym and he works on it. Right. Um, how's your balance? My balance is getting there. It's <laughs> my balance was not good when I met Steve Nash. My balance is night and day better than where it was when I worked out with him, but my balance still needs a lot of improvement. So through the game of basketball, what other like awesome doors have been open to you? Uh, so, Basketball kind of allowed me to, to take school seriously and get a post-secondary education. Um, 
you know, that to me is important. You know, I have a degree, I have a minor now. Um, it really, it opened up so many doors for me for when basketball ends, which for me, I'm hoping I could play for as long as I possibly can. It'll allow me to, to, to use my degree to get into other aspects of life. You know, the other thing about basketball too is it, it creates lifelong connections. You know, I have so many friends in different parts of the world now. I have friends playing in Europe. I have friends in Seattle. I have friends all over America. I have friends all over Canada. You know, I have people, I have connections, you know, everywhere. And it's all because of a, a bright orange ball. And to me, that's like, that's a blessing, you know. Like, I never, I never really thought this ball would take me all around the world. But, you know, it already has. And, I mean, there's still so much, like, so many places for me to go with it. Any other uh, famous people that you met? Yeah, so I actually have a, a really good relationship with Jamal Crawford. Um, what? So, yeah, so I play in the Seattle Pro-Am most summers. Sure, yeah, he's from Seattle. Yeah, yeah. so I've been playing that Pro-Am the last couple of summers. I didn't play this summer because I've been recovering from an injury. So uh, I played against Jamal Crawford and, you know, played against him. All of them had a great game, had 30-plus on him. And he, like, took a liking to my game and gave me his number. And so I, I, I talked to him, not very often, but I've talked to him a, a few times a year I worked out with him, you know, I got to meet Nate, um, Nate Robinson. Yeah. IT, like I, I got to meet all of them through Jamal, you know, um, maybe the most genuine, humble person I've, that's a star athlete I've ever met in my life. Um, you know, and then one of the other NBA guys I know, um, was best friends with one of my old teammates, Zach Levine. Hmm. And, you know, I, I personally think Zach Levine will be an MVP candidate in a couple of years. Like he's, man, he's, he's next level. Unbelievable. He just, People don't really see it because he plays on a bad team, but he's a guy I really think might average thirty points this year. Like he's that good, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Has anyone ever told you you look like Zach Levine? You don't understand how often I hear that comparison. I've actually had um, people come up to me and ask me if I'm Zach Levine, like probably more than a hundred times in my life. Like it's <laughs> it's surreal, especially when I don't have a beard. Like people say it all the time. You should just say yes and then sign your autograph like you sign it, and then. They'd be like, is this Zach's? Yeah, that'd be hilarious. I'll try it out. Um, very quickly here as we're reminiscing about Steve Nash and, yeah, basketball in Canada back in the day, how big of an influence was the Vancouver Grizzlies? Yeah, it's actually funny you ask that. So my, my uncles worked for the Grizzlies. So when I was a little kid, um, I had season tickets to the Grizzlies. Now, I was too, I was too young to remember. I was one, two, and three years old. Okay. But, um, you know, I was at every single home game. You know, and I have no memory of this, but it was like, you know, my parents always say subconsciously it's probably a huge effect on me because since I was a little kid, I would dribble around in basketball like, everywhere I went, like everywhere. I went from like my Toys R Us ball to my actual basketball. Even in high school, I was like kind of like the, the weird kid who walked to school during the basketball. Like I was always that kid. And my parents to this day will say it's, well, it's because we always, we had them around basketball his whole life. So... In a way, the Grizzlies had a huge impact on me, even though I don't exactly remember it. But there's no like photo of you with like big country Reeves or anything. like No, that? but I have photos of me in all Grizzlies tracksuits, like as a as okay. a baby, stuff like that. I have Grizzlies hats. Like to this day, I still have that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and the last part I wanted to chat about with you was, as you step into your next chapter in your basketball career. We talked about this. You want to. You have intentions to go pro. What's important for you as you begin to build that foundation for um, searching out your pro contract? Uh, yeah, I just honestly, I want to find a place. Um, it's gonna sound, sound kind of shallow, like wherever I can make the most money playing. Like, I love basketball like to death, and you know, I'm one of those people. I I feel like I could, you know, fit in and 
pretty much any circumstance. I feel like I could live anywhere. Like I'm a super happy person. I'm outgoing. Um, it's got to be somewhere warm. Yes, as long as it's not cold. Uh, no, it could be cold. Um, but really? honestly, whatever. Honestly, whatever the best basketball opportunity for for me is that me and my inner cir- circle think is the best for me, I'll go to. So for me, I could I could go anywhere. You know, I could maybe I don't know. I'll we'll see how it plays out. But maybe next year I might try and play in the G League. You know, maybe I might go overseas. Like I'm I'm really unsure. I haven't put too much thought into it. I'm kind of trying to focus on this season and then kind of seeing with the agent that I choose to sign with where the next step of basketball is going to take me. But regardless, I mean, I mean, I, c- I can be more excited for that opportunity in my life. I've been dreaming about being a pro basketball player since the day I can remember. Very quickly, how do you feel about the state of basketball in Canada and where it's headed? Yeah. Um, well, from a, from a CIS standpoint, I had no idea how good it was, the top teams, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of conceived notion as a kid. Everyone saw go D1 or, or nothing, you know. Right. I didn't really realize how good the top teams in Canada were mm. until um, actually playing CS and realizing how competitive it is, how many good players there are here. You know, you got tons of players who play CS who could easily be Division One players, which to me was eye-opening in a way. And from the state of basketball in Canada, like especially in Eastern Canada, and it's developing more and more in Western Canada, there's so many good players. You know, we have the second most amount of players in the NBA in the world. You know, we're producing Division One player after Division One player, or pro basketball player after pro basketball player. You know, I see Canada being like a top three to five powerhouse of basketball in the world, and then literally within the next hmm. five to ten years, you know, like we just there's so much talent here, and there's so much good coaching. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna be exciting to just watch Canada as a whole just explode with basketball talent. And it's only getting better, and you know, the Raptors winning a championship helps the cause, right? Right. More um, NBA players giving back to. Yeah. players where they're from it's just it'll be a psych and i think we'll continue to see more and more nba and high level pro players everywhere anything you want to plug or promote shout out um i just want to give a shout out to all my people back home we're gonna watch this shout out to my family you know shout out to my team that's, that's about it man i got a small circle so yeah that's it it's all good thank you so much for coming on Jaden. it was a pleasure hearing your story and uh, best of luck uh, in this upcoming season and, and onwards. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's much appreciated. And um, you know, this is fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Make sure to check out the Facebook page Reading the Play and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes, make sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play and myself, Jeremy Lee, at Legacy. I really hope there's a piece of Jaden's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.